Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. Good to see you all. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Our Father, you have gathered each one of us here. It is your will that each of us is here to hear this very Word from you. We ask that you would speak to us. So speak to us that you might transform our hearts and minds, that we might be more obedient to you, that we might see the glories of the Lord Jesus this very night. In his name we pray. Amen. Around Bulli, it's not too uncommon to hear those who don't identify with Jesus say something along the lines of, Jesus, he may have done miracles, he may have even risen from the dead, it just doesn't matter all that much. At least to me, it just, it just doesn't matter all that much. Maybe my life wouldn't be much different. My life seems to work fine without all this, so why bother with it? Maybe you've heard this or thought this or acted in a way that makes this seem true. And if so, you're not alone. This is the sentiment of many in our day, but not just in our day. In our passage this morning, we see the thinking, this way of thinking and acting on view from the religious elite but we also see it on view from Jesus' disciples. You see, it's a way of thinking that can permeate both those who do identify with Jesus and those who don't identify with Jesus. And so this afternoon, this evening, Jesus wants to warn us against such ways of thinking that misunderstand who he is and how big of a deal this Jesus is. Oh, If you recall a couple of weeks ago, Jesus, he's been teaching and healing and doing wondrous things all throughout the area around Israel. We we call these nations the Gentiles, and he's been doing all these wondrous things. He's just come back from feeding the 4,000 with a tiny amount of bread. And as soon as he steps into Jewish territory, the Pharisees, they're on him again, armed with their questions. So make sure you've got your Bibles open, we're in verse 11, and if you're one who takes notes, on the back of those notes, there'll be three points that come up on the slides that you might like to jot down if that's helpful for you. Verse 11 of chapter 8, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Now, if we were trying to be generous to these disciples, we might think, well, what they're doing, it's kind of noble, right? It's kind of noble because, well, God's Word, it tells them to test those who claim to be prophets. And here they are. This Jesus needs to be tested. This Jesus, he's doing miracles, sure, but any reader of the Old Testament, if they'd read about Pharaoh, and they'd read about Pharaoh's magicians, they'd see that, well, they can do amazing things too. Maybe Jesus is just like them. He needs to be tested. Who can we look at? Well, we can look at Moses. We know he was from God. 
He performed signs from heaven like manna in the wilderness. Have a look at Exodus 16 verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Seems noble. And here they are coming to test Jesus, asking for a sign from heaven. But if you knew your Old Testament, you'd see that they've actually skipped over a key part of God's Word. A key part where God actually gives them the test the test for the prophets to make sense of them and their signs, see if they're legitimate. And the test is not whether their signs happen from heaven or come from heaven. Have a look at Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them... You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. See, the test isn't whether the signs come down from heaven. Did you see it there? The test is, if the sign does happen, where do they direct your worship? Do they direct you to follow the one true God or do they direct you to follow other gods? That's the test. That's the test God gave them. And if they cause you to follow other gods, well, don't listen to them. Therefore, by implication, if the sign does happen and they do lead you to the one true God, well, you better listen because this is from God. This is a message from God. The Pharisees, they've clearly ignored God's word and they've devised their own test, their own test, way to test Jesus. We want to see a sign from heaven. Interestingly, the word for test here, it's the same word used for the devil's testing of Jesus back in chapter 1. This isn't some genuine way of trying to test if Jesus is legitimate. No, this is This is a kind of test to try and discredit Jesus. And it's clear that they've already decided Jesus is not really a big deal. He's not that big of a deal. He certainly shouldn't be listened to. And I don't know about you, but I find that a pretty easy thing to do myself. Just, you know, just the day-to-day life and I go through life and Jesus just gets pushed further and further to the background of my mind And I live in a way that makes it seem like he's just not that big of a deal. You know, I also devise my own tests to test Jesus with rather than use what God has supplied to understand him. You know, unless he does this or unless he does that or if he answers this prayer or that prayer, then I can trust him, then I can believe him. A friend of mine, he came to church under the guise of seeing what Jesus was all about. And he told me the other day that in coming to church, he actually kind of already made up his mind about who Jesus was. You know, he wasn't that big of a deal, but I'll come anyway. But he did think it would have too many implications for the life he loved if he actually turned to follow Jesus. But he thought to himself, if God gives me a sign, then I'll believe. 
It's much like the Pharisees here. Yet if you read through the Gospels, you'll see that the ones who demand signs from Jesus are always the ones who oppose him. The demand for signs is itself a sign of attempting to gain by empirical means what can only be gained by faith and by trust. So Jesus' despair at the Pharisees' spiritual blindness results in a deep sigh, deep sigh in his spirit and a rejection of such ways of coming to him. Verse 12, he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. And as if stamping his desire to distance himself from such an attitude, verse 13, he gets in the boat and leaves. Then he left them, got into the boat and crossed to the other side. But as he's here in this boat, he still has these thoughts of the attitude, the unbelief of the Pharisees on his mind. Point two, the blind don't understand Jesus. Verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeasts of the Pharisees and that of Herod. You can kind of imagine the disciples confusion at this point, can't you? They've got a single loaf of bread in front of them and they look at the bread and they look at Jesus and they look at the bread and they look at each other and they look at the bread and look at Jesus. He's talking about yeast. He must be talking about the bread. Of course, it's obvious. Verse 16, they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Yeast, Jesus, bread. I, for one, am so glad the disciples are in the Bible. I don't know about you, but when you read the Bible and you read of the disciples and their folly, like I just identify exactly with them because I make such silly mistakes just like they do. If I'm hungry, loaf of bread in my hands, I'm thinking the same thing. Jesus, he hears what they're talking about, verse 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asks them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand Are your hearts hardened? Again, you can kind of imagine the disciples' eyes wide with confusion. Clearly, their discussion amongst themselves, it didn't get them any closer to understanding who Jesus actually is or or understanding what he's saying here. Lots of exposure to, to Jesus and to his teachings, to his miracles, without understanding their significance, it leads Jesus to ask them the question, are your hearts hard? Have your hearts been hardened? Jesus goes on, verse 18. Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? He draws upon the example of the ignorant Israelites in the Old Testament who, though they saw, they did not truly see. Though they heard, they did not truly hear. And so Jesus, he asked his disciples to recall the details of the miracles. Verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? I was waiting for Allah to say it. Twelve, they replied. 
And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. The disciples, they remember the detail. 100% on the quiz, on the number quiz. Joe, you'd give them 100% if they were one of your students. But something about their response reveals their ignorance. Verse 21, he said to them, Do you still not understand? I must admit, as I was trying to prepare this, I thought to myself, I don't understand. (laughs) I've got no idea what he's talking about. You see, the disciples, they recall the detail of these miracles, but they fail to understand the significance of what has taken place. Nor do they come to Jesus to actually find out what the miracles are all about. Just like the Pharisees, they hear of Jesus' mighty works, of what he's doing, and they misunderstand who he is, trying to just figure out between them what's going on. But it's not only the Pharisees who do this. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6, verse, let's go from verse 12. So these are the, 70, uh, the 12, Jesus has just sent them out. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. The King Herod, he hears about the mighty deeds done in Jesus' name and he decides to make up his own mind about who Jesus is, wrongly thinking that Jesus must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. He does exactly what the Pharisees did, making up their own mind. He does exactly what we see the disciples do here, making up their own mind without coming to Jesus. In a sense, they're all blind. They don't understand who Jesus truly is. And nor do they come to him to find out who he is. One commentator, he notes, The disciples are much like humanity at large, too stuck in its own world and cares and so blind and deaf to what God reveals in Jesus. See, here in front of them is God the one that they've just seen provide more than any one person could need, seen him, the compassionate Lord and Saviour of the world, and they're worried about where their next meal will come from. We're hungry, we've only got one loaf of bread. They really don't understand how big of a deal Jesus is. The yeast of, or the ways of, the teaching of the Pharisees and of Herod have permeated their thinking. The teaching of the religious elite and the king, the secular leader. The disciples here, their evidence that just being in proximity with Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually with Jesus in purpose and mission. Being close to the things of Jesus, maybe through family or or through church, it doesn't mean that we understand him or that we're actually with him in purpose and mission. 
So for the moment, the issue of what Jesus means about the bread, it remains pretty unclear to the disciples. They remain blind. And then the scene cuts. It cuts to Jesus in Bethsaida. And here, some people bring to him a blind man. Point three, the blind need Jesus to help them see clearly. Verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. If you were here two weeks ago, we saw something very similar. These men brought the deaf man, the mute man to Jesus, begged him to touch him. It's a similar thing going on. Jesus takes him away from the crowd as well. But this miracle is unlike any other that is in the Gospels. You don't see a miracle quite like this, because in this miracle, it seems like there's a bit of a glitch. Like Jesus, he just seems to almost fail. Have a look. Verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. If you got new glasses and they only helped you to see slightly better, still really blurry, you wouldn't be very happy, would you? It seems like Jesus here has failed. Verse 25. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Oh, this is truly amazing. The question I have is, what happened to Jesus? Like, did the Wi-Fi cut out or something partway through the miracle? Consider what we've just seen. Jesus has just called out the disciples for being like Israel. They see, but do they truly see? They hear, but do they truly hear? See, at the hands of Jesus, this blind man who, who sees but doesn't really see, he's made to see all the more clearly. Mark uses this event not to highlight any failing of Jesus, but rather to show that the only way for the disciples' blurry vision to be fixed is at the hands of Jesus. We need Jesus to see clearly. They need Jesus to open their eyes, to understand him, to understand just how big of a deal he is. If they keep doing what Herod did and the Pharisees did and what they were doing on their own, they will remain blind. But stick with Jesus and ask him for sight and he'll help them see clearly. Next week, we come to the big turning point in the book of Mark as Michael proclaims it to us, where Peter proclaims Jesus is the Christ. He is God's King. It's this wonderful moment of clarity. And yet, almost in the same breath, he shows himself to not really see, to still have a kind of blurry vision. He needs to be taught by Jesus in order to see properly. And in the same way, we too need Jesus to open our blind or blurry eyes that we might see him for who he truly is. Whether we've been, we're not a Christian yet, or whether we've been a Christian for 50 years, we need to keep coming to Jesus to open our eyes. 
We need him to open our eyes to see clearly that he himself is what God, who God has sent from heaven, that we might believe. We need him to open our eyes to see that he is the compassionate Lord and Saviour, not just of the physically blind, but of the world. This morning in our congregation, Michael and I didn't know they were coming, but some people who were planning to go overseas to work in Spain on mission came to our congregation. And I was talking to one of them after, and she said, you know, I really needed to hear that. Because even though I'm going over to Spain, here's this wonderful woman, she's done Bible college, she's planning to go on mission, doing amazing things for Jesus, and she said, yeah, I feel like I just... I keep forgetting how big a deal Jesus is. An amazing woman. She needs to hear this just like we do. We need him to open our eyes. Open our eyes to see the power of Jesus. The power to restore, much bigger than just physical eyes, but power to bring us back, restore us into relationship with God power to see that on the cross Jesus opened up the way for us to be forgiven for being just like Herod and the Pharisees who wrongly made up their minds about him. We need him to open our eyes to the thunderous reality of who Jesus is. Jesus, the same Lord who had stooped down into a tiny little boat with a few ignorant men who don't understand who he is and so patiently try and teach them. Jesus, the same Lord whom God has appointed to judge the world on the last day, having given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Jesus, the prophet who speaks from God, pointing us to the one true God, directing our worship to the one true God, not to some other thing. So let us come to him for true spiritual sight. We come to him, of course, in his word, the Bible, where we can read of him and have him open our eyes as we ask him in prayer by the power of the Spirit to do that work, to open our eyes. This is what happened to the friend I mentioned earlier who came into church already having his mind set on Jesus. And he he said that he did finally read the Bible on his own. He he grabbed actually a copy, much like the Essential Jesus, which we have up the back of church. And he read it and he said, I saw Jesus really did die on the cross. And he really did rise from the dead. And incredibly, he loves me so much, he wants to welcome me into relationship with him. And I've had the privilege of watching his life and this thunderous reality, it has reverberated throughout every part of his life. There are so many wonderful stories of God opening the eyes of the blind to see clearly and Keely, if you're able without Obi being too distracted, is it okay if you come up and answer this question? Give her a give her a cheer. Thanks, Claire, for being up the back. Thanks for praying for us as well, Keely. 
Obi was so nice before. He just on his own came up and gave me a hug. It was so sweet. Maybe because of the moustache. Luke had a moustache for a few weeks and was like, Dad? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> jo loves to hear that. She loves the moustache. I was so excited when Luke shaved <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, can you tell us in what ways has God opened your eyes to see who Jesus truly is? I, well, just before I answer that specifically, I really resonated with what you were saying about how without God, the disciples would just stay in there, mm. wanting that hard evidence, wanting Jesus on their terms and not being able to see Jesus for who he is. And I think that's a fundamental part of being a Christian, being able to, well, yet yeah, understanding that without God and without the Spirit opening your eyes... There's no way that I would hold Jesus as a saviour, mm. um, let alone a saviour for me. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think for me, and that's it's been particularly um, significant this year, um, God has shown me that Jesus brings me hope beyond the awful negative things that I might think about myself. Um, Jesus brings healing in despair. Jesus brings comfort to brokenness. Um, yeah, without, without God, I wouldn't see those things in Jesus. And I'm so mm. thankful that he has used challenging things to show me that. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I'll pray for you as well. We'll pray for the things we've seen as well. Now, Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us something of the thunderous reality of who the Lord Jesus is. Help each one of us to see clearly, to come to Jesus that we might behold his glory. Thank you for the ways that you've worked in Keely's life to help her to see Jesus clearly, to help her to see all the ways that he's at work in her life and bringing comfort in brokenness and particularly this year lord we thank you that you have brought her great joy even in the hardships and we pray for keely that you would continue to help her see jesus all the more clearly even this very day and for us all might we continue to worship you the one true god in jesus name amen thanks keely I believe we might be singing.